Good evening and welcome to Cannabis Network Radio. Today is Monday, October 7th, 2013. I hope everyone is doing well this evening. Tonight we have with us Robert Platshorn, uh, a.k.a. Bobby Tuna, um, America's longest uh, serving uh, prisoner for cannabis uh, in the United States, as well as uh, the uh, one of the stars of the movie Square Grouper. Um, as well as uh, the book Black Tuna Diaries. We'll have him on in just a minute. Um, joined tonight uh, with co-host uh, N.A. Poe. Uh, before we even get started about everything else, I do have something I have to do. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Poe. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, man. Dave, thanks so much. It, it, you know, another year has passed, but this year has been such an amazing year for me. So many things have happened, and have so much stuff that I'm looking forward to in the future that, you know, it was just another work day to me, but, uh, you know, I, I did enjoy it. I want to do a quick shout out to, uh, Joe and Jesse who donated us a 70 inch TV and an Xbox, uh, 360 to the panic hour today for my birthday. So that was really warm. And then my girlfriend, I woke up handcuffed to the bed, so I can't complain. You said you woke up handcuffed. Is that what you said? I woke up handcuffed to the bed. That's awesome. So uh, I guess we'll kind of leave it there. Um, I mean, she hasn't let me out yet, though, Dave. That's the problem. Oh, so you're still handcuffed to the bed? All right. I'll call a locksmith. Um, But uh, nonetheless, so uh, did you do anything fun for your weekend? Yeah, Dave, I was just like running around as usual. You were down at Miami, huh? You went to uh, the Ravens game down there? Yeah, I did go to the Ravens game. Yes. Uh, That was a nail biter, wasn't it? It was kind of cool. It was a nail biter. Um, It was a sea of purple down there. And, uh, you know, it's kind of cool when you're. uh, you know, in in a in a way stadium, but the majority of the people there are all fans of your team. So you know, it was it was kind of cool. You know, uh, yeah, I felt I felt that backwards when I used to live in Tampa and go to Tampa Bay Rays games, and there was more Yankees and Boston fans um, know, in the stands than there was Rays fans. I th- I think you know I think honestly, uh, Florida because it is it is one of those non uh, like I guess eighty percent of the people that live in the state aren't from the state. Um, you know, it's hard to have really home team fans when it's such a melting pot of, of, of other people. So, uh, it's always nice to take a trip to Miami though. Yeah. You must have had a pretty good time down there. Oh yeah. You know, absolutely. Had a, had a, had a good time. I'm tired, you know, um, you know, I, I always tend to try to have a good time wherever I go. You know me. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. <laughs> I did wake up today to, to some sad news. One of my favorite activists in all of the whole cannabis community that I've met, and that's a lot of people, uh, Michael Mouth of the King of Hot passed yesterday, Dave, so that's a real big loss for uh, the yeah, marijuana community I, in Boston and in the East Coast, and just people that knew him as a friend, so, uh, you know, you know, it, it's unfortunate. It was just, what, a few weeks ago that we were all hanging out, you know, at that party, um, the, that normal uh, High Times party in Boston, and, you know, just, like, shooting the shit and, you know, posting on Facebook, it just... It's one of those amazing things. I I really hate, you know, this is what the second uh, activist that I have been, you know, friends with in in a matter of a couple months that has been taken from us, you know, unexpectedly. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I hate, I really do hate waking up to to news like that. I I really do. And it's so sad. And like um, our, uh, you know, our, our movement, suffers a setback you know even though it's just one person it's one person that makes such a such a huge huge difference and you know it also makes you reflect on 
you know, how fragile life is and how fragile the people close to you are and how, you know, in one minute something tragic and unexpected can happen and, and everything just changes in, in a minute. So, you know, I, I think that uh, one thing I do know, he is a, was a big fan of uh, Michael Jackson. Um, and uh, we're going to play a, a Michael Jackson song, a tribute to him here in just a minute. But I will, uh, you know, pause for a moment and I also want to give people a moment to reflect is, you know, honestly, life is fragile. Life is short. Tell the people that are important to you how you feel. Love the people you love. Hold them close. Life is precious. You never know what tomorrow or a couple hours may bring. So uh, make it all count. So uh, Yeah, I mean, it's scary. Like, uh, you know, I didn't meet those guys in Boston until, you know, the first time that we all met. And they were so supportive of me when I got arrested and they came out. And, you know, me and Mike are of the same ethnic background and we connected you know, immediately over some, you know, funny, heartwarming stuff that, you know, I could tell that this is going to be a guy I was going to be close with for a long time. And the last thing he said to me was, get your ass up here. You know, you and your girl come stay with my wife. We'll have dinner. You know, we'll hang out. So yeah. you're right. You know, it, 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 you know, on a day that's my birthday, um, you know, it was kind of, uh, it, it was interesting in the morning to deal with, uh, you know, that kind of mortality on the day that I was born to a certain extent. Well. And, you know, it, it, it is a strange thing, and, and you know, our hearts with everyone up in Boston, because I know, I heard that they're changing the name of Mount Mary Jane to Mount Michael Malta, so that's I awesome. can't think of a better honor. Absolutely, that's awesome, and you know, maybe in his departure, he's left a, a, a pair of open shoes uh, for someone like yourself to fill, so... Uh, yeah, well, it would be an honor to, you know, fill shoes that big. Yep, absolutely. Well, we're going to pause here for about 10 seconds, then we're going to go into... Uh, you know Michael Jackson song here in tribute for uh, Mike and then we're gonna uh, bring on the show back uh, with uh, Robert Platchorn so uh, let's pause for a moment and then we'll uh, listen to some uh, Michael Jackson and continue with some more Cannabis Network Radio in just a moment
Welcome back to Cannabis Network Radio. And that, of course, was Michael Jackson with Smooth Criminal in tribute to uh, our dear departed friend, uh, Mike Malta. Um, yeah, man, we're going to miss you a lot. All right, so let's kick off the show. We got with us uh, Robert Platchorn, a.k.a. Bobby Tuna. How are you doing this evening, Bobby? I'm all right. Uh, I didn't realize uh, some of you guys were down here in my territory in Florida. Yep. And I'm up in my other territory in uh, Philadelphia. We we got the best of both worlds here for you. All right. <laughs> go South Philly. Go uh, West Coast Florida. West Coast Florida. So, nonetheless. West Coast Florida. Oh, West I didn't Coast. realize you were... Uh, a little over toward the uh, redneck area. Yeah, we're we're redneck central here, so you know it's all it's all good. You know, got a little redneck in me, nonetheless. So, um, so uh, what's been going on with you? How are you doing? What's happening with with uh, all your, uh, you know, I guess uh, uh, whatever probation nonsense you've been dealing with? Uh, why don't you bring everyone up to speed on that, and uh, then we'll kind of get into something else. All right. First of all, I'd like to thank uh, more than 100 people who sent letters to the chairman of the Parole Commission telling them it's about time to let a 70-year-old man with a 35-year-old pot case uh, off the hook. Uh, they saved all the letters, put them in the file, sent everybody uh, a kind of a meaningless letter saying that they've advised me of the status. The status is no status. Uh, you know, up until a year ago, I traveled everywhere. I was at all the cannabis cups and had fest and did speaking engagements everywhere. And uh, my parole officer got sick and uh, unfortunately died. He was a really good guy. And uh, he said to me right in the beginning, Bobby, I know to make a living, you got to go out and do book signings and appear at all the cannabis events. He said, I don't have any problem with that. And then when I came back uh, from the medical conference in Arizona, patients out of time, last year, uh, a new parole officer showed up at my door and said, cancel all your travel arrangements. And uh, he spread the word around the office that he had a high-profile case and uh, he was going to ride it like a swayback mule. And he has. I mean, I've, I've taken more fist tests than uh, everybody in the halfway house I used to be in put together and takes in a month. And uh, I did manage to get to Tallahassee to lobby for our medical marijuana bill, which uh, about three years ago I was the one who got Jeff Clemens to put the first bill in in Tallahassee. And now it's called the Kathy Jordan Medical Marijuana Bill. It was uh, brought up at the last session and will be brought up at the next session. It's got a lot of support. And when you consider uh, the petition drive, which is the other uh, initiative we have going, one's going to push the other. And, and either the petition will be successful or we will get medical the Kathy Jordan medical marijuana bill. You know, so, uh, and the only reason I got to go to Tallahassee was Senator Clemens uh, contacted the parole commission and said he needed me there. 
And, of course, uh, they said, oh, yes, Senator, and here I went. And then, you know, uh, in June, I brought almost 150 seniors and vets to the House of Representatives in Washington to lobby uh, for Jared Polis's bill so that the federal government wouldn't interfere with the states that have legalized. And uh, in order to get there, I had to have the help of uh, Neil Franklin and just about everybody at LEAP, all the law enforcement officers, uh, put pressure on the parole commission to allow me to go. And those are the only two trips I've made in over a year. They hadn't let me go to any book signings or do anything uh, that might let me make a living. And, of course, the fight goes on. There were people who uh, were talking about uh, putting on a demonstration in front of the parole commission in Washington, or they wanted to put on a demonstration in front of the uh, parole offices down here. But we're fighting. In the meantime, I'm working my butt off. You know, I'm writing a new book called Greed and Evil. Uh, it's about the people and the organizations that are fighting legalization right now. And uh, the hardest part about it is there's so much good information and, and such a clear money trail between these people, the politicians, the drug companies, the drug testing companies, uh, the alcohol industry, and more than anything else, the private prison industry. And that, of course, is scary. Without uh, marijuana offenders, the private prison industry could end up going away. You know, half of their income comes from their factories. And the only people they really like having to work in their factories mm -hmm. are marijuana offenders. So uh, if you take that out of the equation, you know, marijuana offenders are docile and they just want to do their time and get out. Private prisons don't want convicts. In fact, they usually ship real convicts right back to the state or the feds. Yeah, I mean, the the whole the whole prison system and the whole fact that we're jailing, you know, people like yourself and arresting people like, you know, Poe and, and all that nonsense, you know, re really does need to stop. And, and I will actually digress for one moment to the Kathy Jordan Medical Cannabis Act. You know, I was in Tallahassee also preceding your, your visit up there, um, you know, with Jody and all those folks. And um, I, I can say that I'm really disappointed and appalled at the fact that not only did they not go ahead and, and even hear the bill at all, even though it was filed in, in definitely the most appropriate time frames and things like that, I was also very appalled by the fact that it came down with, you know, the HB 49 with the bong ban that, that, you know, went right after that. And that was heard, you know, it, dro it dropped at 11.58 p.m., was heard at 8.03 the next morning. So, you know, the fact that something like that can be heard and signed off on and, 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 and truthfully a matter of, you know, seven minutes in, uh, you know, actual legislative time and they couldn't fit, uh, you know, time into heavy hearing for the Kathy Jordan Medical Cannabis Act is kind of appalling as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, let me give you the inside story on both of those. Uh, I happened to be there when that bill was in committee, the bond bill. And uh, Jody and I walked into the room where the committee was hearing. Now, we were just passing there, and we saw the, that the bill was being 
read and discussed, and I looked around to see how many people would object, and they counted heads and counted hands, and there were no objectors. So I got up, and I spoke against the bill, and I was the only single person who spoke against the bill. Jody uh, registered her presence and the fact that she was against it. But I got up and I, I gave a pitch. I'm an old pitchman. I can't keep my mouth shut. But the truth is that bill, although it was passed as a favor to somebody, it was dead and stinking before it ever actually went up. Now, I didn't know that until afterwards when I got the real story, that they were all prepared to make that bill null and void, you know, in, in reality. And, of course, that's how it worked out. There is there is no more bond bill being enforced anywhere. Uh, and the story, there was the story just a store that there was just a store raided at Webster Flea Market two weeks ago. One of the mm, vendors there was raided two weeks ago. Webster Flea Market. They must have used something besides the bond bill because that was nullified by uh, passing an amendment. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God for that. Yeah. I mean, we've all got friends in the business, and uh, I really didn't want to see them hurt, and, and I pitched. And one of the strong Democrats who's actually for legalization came up, and she was pissed off at me. She said, you shouldn't have said a word. This thing was all taken care of to begin with. Of course, I didn't know that. In any case, the Kathy Jordan bill, it went into committee... And, of course, since the Republicans control the legislature, they have the committee heads. The committee heads would not allow the bill to be heard in committee. So forget about the floor. It's got to go through committee. It was blocked going into committee. We should have a much better chance at the next session because they will feel the pressure of the petition. The petition is way ahead of time on on the signatures they need. And the legislators, I think, would rather draft and amend the Kathy Jordan bill and have control of it than have the petition bill go up for popular vote and then not be able to uh, put input into that bill. It takes it out of the hands of the legislators. So the petition should push the Kathy Jordan bill. And uh, that's what most of us hope for. And Bob, we're having problems. We're having problems in Pennsylvania. We're just starting to head towards dealing with the legislators. I mean, the movement kind of really just started here. And now that we are starting to talk to legislators, the Republican legislators are absolutely stonewalling anything that has to do. We've recently been getting a lot of steam in the middle of the state. Some mothers with daughters that are affected with seizures um, are starting to get uh, up to the Capitol and starting groups. And, you know, these people are just wagging their fingers in our, in our faces and telling us that it's never going to happen. Now, when 82% of the state supports medical marijuana... That's the time to, you know, really say felons like us can't vote, but it's time to tell, you know, people to start making our legislators take a stance on marijuana and then vote them out accordingly, especially if the numbers are in that direction. Yeah, and you've got one of the, the best, hardest-working, 
industrious uh, lobbyist that I've ever known in the movement, and that's Chris. I mean, he's, he's just amazing. But the book I'm writing happens to be about the people that are pouring money into Pennsylvania, that poured money into Colorado trying to stop legalization, people like the Semblers uh, with uh, Drug-Free America and SOS, uh, Calvina Fetty, the, the queen of all the liars. Uh, it's it's going to be an amazing book because there's so much great material. Uh, the hardest part about writing it is sifting it down to uh, a digestible amount. Uh, you know, the whole movement started from an organization called Straight. Which Scared was Straight. Both yeah, they were supposed they were supposed to be drug treatment centers, and they uh, had lawsuits everywhere, including Pennsylvania, uh, because they were kidnapping kids, torturing them, locking them in a room for killed days. three of them. Uh, huh? Killed three of them. Well, allegedly, forty that committed suicide. That's killing them. Confirmed, <laughs> and of course, most of the suicides were never reported or connected to straight. Right. But there's 40 that were concerned, that were confirmed. There were probably 50 or 60 successful lawsuits. There the assemblers who, who were behind it all. Mel Sembler, who bought himself an ambassadorship when he raised $21 million, uh, for Bush's first presidential campaign. Uh They've been involved in this for so long, and they made something like $31 million from straight. And then when the lawsuits happened, they took all of that money, moved it into another corporation, so that everybody was suing a bankrupt corporation in straight. And then they moved the money, they loaned it to themselves to start the Foundation for Drug-Free America, which also became partner for Drug Free America. Calvina Faye joined them. I mean, the, the, the broad who calls herself a professor from Argentina. <laughs> yeah, she's not a professor from anywhere. And it would be amazing if she ever went to Argentina. I've spoken to people at the university there, and they say, Calvina who? Yeah, uh, it's no and, joke. She's yeah. She's... You know, I refer to her as the wicked witch of, of the cannabis movement, you know, and, and the, the assemblers, too. You know, from straight to to uh, the Partnership for Drug-Free America and Drug-Free America and all, and all that jazz. Aside from the fact, you know, that they bankrupted, you know, Straight Inc. You know, to protect themselves from litigation and then rolled that money over to start, you know, the part, whatever, the Drug-Free America program, you know, in itself is, is like, you know, ridiculous in in its own the fact that no one like called them out on it but the fact is their focus has been like i'd say probably 90 percent on cannabis and marijuana i mean it hasn't really been on the problems especially here in florida you know we're known you know as the home of the oxycontin express and you know pill mills and things like that you know and and they, i mean they spent what i heard the close to 10 million dollars to fight the legalization initiatives in colorado and washington state i mean i'm glad they they you know wasted their money doing so but uh, you know, they got busted. They got busted. Do you remember what happened uh, in Washington? I, I don't recall. They put up 
a billboard. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they got caught. Phony yeah. name SOS. Right, right, right. right. They yep. keep starting new corporations so that they don't get sued in the, in the former ones. Right. And they had they had this picture of, of a girl who looked like she just got out of Dachau or Auschwitz. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then yep. big circles around her eyes. And right. She weighed about seven pounds, and it said. What's so good about marijuana? Nothing. And everybody spotted it for what it was, which was a picture of some poor crack whore. Right. <laughs> That's what and it was. Then they yeah, managed to locate it, contacted the uh, billboard company, and uh, it was gone in a heartbeat. Yep. It's, it's typical. Let me give you a, a quick funny story about Calvina Faye. And, and a lot of this is going to be in my book, including how much they actually donate to what politicians. And most of it goes through uh, big lobbying firms in Washington. And I trace that money all the way through these four lobbying firms to the politicians who have been giving them grants. So they're even bribing the politicians with taxpayers' money. This is going to be a doozy of a book, and it's really aimed at the politicians, and I think it's, it's going to finally cut the string with people like the Semblers, Calvina Fay, uh, what's her name, Angelina in New Jersey, the one that's uh, the one that's a state politician, and she gives herself uh, drug fighting grants. Uh, they're all they're all in the book, but anyway, Calvina Fay puts on a supposed town hall down in Miami in a black neighborhood. I think it was Overtown. And she says it's an open town hall to discuss the pros and cons of marijuana. Well, of course, they wouldn't allow anyone in that was from any anything but an anti-marijuana group. And, and she now uh, tries to appeal almost completely uh, to the black community because she feels they're the most gullible. Of course, that's changing now. The NAACP, the black churches, are finally beginning to realize you've got to regulate it to solve the problem. However, she gets up, she makes her phony pitch, all the old lines, it's a gateway drug, they'll all become heroin addicts. It's addicting. Thousands of people are, are going to hospitals for overdose and, and, and all the standard lies. But a lot of pressure was put on the people who sponsored it. And uh, Irv Rosenfeld got a ticket. And they knew he was there. And at the very, very end, they allowed him to ask a question. And before he was finished the question, she jumped down off the stage, ran out the door screaming, I'm late for a plane, I'm late for a plane. <laughs> Boom, and she was gone. Uh, the head of our normal chapter here, Karen Goldstein, she was there too. She she just laughed her face off. But that, that's typical of those people. Of course, they won't debate anybody anymore, just like the DEA won't. And uh, they they all have a pretty checkered background and and that's what the book was meant to be about but because i've aimed it at politicians in the mainstream and you know as you know i'm not real strong on uh, preaching to the choir uh i had 
from the beginning. So I got permission from uh, Janie Harrer to use Jack Harrer's history of uh, cannabis. Greatly edited. But that's a good beginning. Then I figured in order to, to explain what's going on now, it all started in the Nixon era. And to really do a good job on that, I had to go through hours and hours of Nixon's White House tapes uh, to explain why uh, he formed the Schaefer Commission. They reported that, you know, they recommended it be legalized for personal use. And then Nixon decided to declare war on drugs and most of all marijuana. And to explain his machinations and his reasons, I had to go through all those tapes, and I've, I've got transcripts, the relevant transcripts in the book. And then I found out the real reason. had nothing to do with what he said, what he told people, but something that some old smugglers who were old mob guys told me years ago that I had never been able to confirm until about a week ago. And it had to do with a very personal relationship between Nixon and Baby Rebozo. Uh, you know, Bob, you, Bob, you spent 30 years in jail. And, that you know, a lot of people, I mean, that you see that on paper, and, and it's still like, wow. What made you come out and still be as vigilant about things as, because one of the things I admire about you most, just my brief brush with the federal government, really makes me just angry and 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 you know you've you've gone through all this ordeal and you come out and you're speaking out and while you're speaking out they're they're tying you you know down uh because of that what keeps you continuing to to be in this fight pissed off don't you understand that this is the most poetic kickback is to see that marijuana is criminalized, legalized, medical, full legalization. I don't care if it's a little teeny township that I go and speak to and then they decrim or they put out a letter to their police department that they're no longer uh, going to consider it a priority. Every little win is a piece of the puzzle. But let me tell you what really motivated me. I live in a senior community and like most, it's pretty conservative, or it was. And I kept my head down. Because when I went to prison, I was called a dope czar. Uh, you know, we were supposed to have been the biggest smugglers on earth, which, of course, is not true. Never was. Uh, and I didn't know how people would regard me. My book had just come out and there weren't that many people who had read it at that point. And the movie Square Grouper, which really changed things, hadn't come out yet either. So I kept my head down. When the movie came out and I got some publicity, people began to know who I was. And I was on the tennis court one morning playing a little old guy tennis. And a man in the 70s comes up and says, Bobby, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, yeah, and I walked aside with him. He said, my wife has MS. She's bedridden most of the time. I stay home and take care of her. He said, but 
she does have good days. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if I can find her something to smoke. And he, he was very reticent to say it. He said, she can get out of bed. We can go have lunch. The pain isn't so bad. She can get her hair done. He said, please help me out. He said, I'm afraid to go out on the street and look for stuff. He said, they'll rob me or maybe I'll go to jail and then who's going to take care of my wife? Or maybe she'll go to jail and she'll die. And yeah, that's a, yeah. said to him, I can't even tell you where to go because I could end up back in prison for 10 years or more just for hooking you up with somebody. And two days later, somebody came to me with glaucoma and the same story. And she said, this is the only thing that saves my sight. And where can I go? And I said, do you have any grandchildren? She said, yeah. <laughs> I said, there's a good start. But it tore my heart out to tell somebody that I couldn't or wouldn't help them. And I decided the only way to help them is to change the law. And, of course, when I came out, I wanted to do something to see that nobody else went in and did the kind of time I did and had half their life stolen from them. And uh, I was out at the uh, Hemp Fest. I was up on stage. I had 2,000 people in front of me, and they were sending me up big love and laughing at my jokes and asking for... Uh, smuggling stories or square grouper stories. And I looked out at the audience and I realized I'm wasting my time. I'm preaching to the choir. And I made up my mind that the effort and time was going to go toward educating the public. I'm an old bitchman. I know how to do it. I was making infomercials before Ronnie Popeil. I mean, I started on the boardwalk in Atlantic City with people like Billy Mays and Ron Popeil. So I knew I could do it. And then I just had to find out where I could make the most impact for the least amount of money. Because I had none. I have none. Now, and Bob, yeah. certain, how much, like 30 years in jail, what changed the most when you came out? When you came out, what were your life? Did, did you feel like in any way that you kind of stumbled upon a spaceship or something like that as far as, you know, the way things were going in society. I mean, that amount, that amount of time is, you know, is, is ridiculous. Uh, you know, when you got out, what really, you know, was the most shocking to you other than, you know, the fact that marijuana was coming around? Well, that was pretty great. First trip I made to California, I thought I died and went to heaven. But the thing that shocked me the most the price of uh, Mickey D's. It wasn't. What about the what about shaved bushes? Did they they didn't have shaved bushes when you went away? Did they? They didn't have what? The girls didn't shave down down below when you went away. When you got out, did, did you say anything like that? Easy. I when I went away was the height of the uh, blow epidemic. <laughs> I hadn't seen a hairy one in so long, I didn't remember what it looked like with hair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. All right, so I, I, I have actually a question. Since we're, and I know it's kind of sort of on topic, off topic. So back then, since it was the, since when you went away, it was the height of of the blow and, and, and Coke uh, era. 
what prompted you to to jump into the pot field as opposed to you know coke or something else was it just because at the time frame it was on the cusp of legalization and and you thought it was going to be a a lesser of the two evil or just it just happened in, in that be- way in the beginning uh coke really hadn't gotten started as as a blizzard uh it was a very very small side business for a few cuban smugglers uh but marijuana it was the Carter administration, and he was going to do something to change the law. Of course, until uh, you know who ratted out uh, his advisor and uh, on on that Coke party. It uh, was Hunter S. Thompson and all that. Huh? That the story about them doing Coke at the normal party when marijuana was almost legalized. Is that what you're talking about? Yep, 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 and and we all know who opened his mouth. But uh, until then, it looked like Carter was going to change things. Uh, it was an era of peace, love, and hippies. Uh, marijuana smugglers were good guys. Our customers were nice people. And uh, it was exciting. It was an adventure. I used to uh, go to the jungles in Colombia and fly airplanes, and I ran boats, and uh, it, it was pretty exciting times, and we were making money, and we were bringing in most of the good Colombian gold, the Santa Marta gold that came in, and you know, that eventually became the mother strain of almost all the good uh, hybrids and medical strains that are grown today. Well, I was actually I, I was actually going to ask you about that, you know, because a lot of that stuff that you're talking about, I'm going to encourage our listeners and people who listen to the podcast and listeners to check out the Square Grouper if they haven't already, because a lot of that's covered in there, and that's like and that's like a great movie. I've watched it a bunch of times. I've shared it with people, and it's available on Netflix, I do believe, still, and it's on, also on Showtime. Um, but did you have you noticed any differences, like in terms of of everyone says that the potency has been so much different and, and et cetera, et cetera, from the time that that, that, that back in the day to now? That's the second biggest lie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Santa Marta gold we brought in averaged between fourteen and eighteen percent, and that's. That's certainly uh, no worse than good stuff averages today. The only thing that averages more to, than that is some of the strains that are grown uh, for competition and for medical use. And uh, even the best things you're going to find in any dispensary are certainly no better than the Santa Marta gold we brought in, the... Uh, Hawaiians that were coming in at the time, the Maui, and uh, what was the other one? I forget. I'm old. I forget a lot of things. What? Uh, so, the high so, stick that was coming in, that all ran 14, 16, 17%. And uh, so, any idiot who, who believes it's stronger now than it was before wasn't here before. Yeah. I sure as hell wasn't. I was. I was. I, and I wasn't born until 1979, Pastor, and I, I can't do nothing about that. <laughs> so, um, so, 
Bob. Anyway, let, uh, let me let me just ask you one other thing, uh, just to interject real quick. If in retrospect, knowing everything you know now, would you go the same course? Of course not. No one would knowingly do that. Well, I, I mean, sorry, sorry, uh, sorry. That's that's a, that's a that's a bad question. Sorry. Um, I know you wouldn't obviously do the prison time. Was there something you would do differently? Like, would you t- would you take the same beginning steps and then knowing what you know now? alter anything or have altered anything or would you now knowing what you know I guess and have time to think about just not do it at all to begin with tell you the truth knowing myself I'd have probably gone into the business and where we got in trouble were were people who were coming to us as we retired and they ended up being the rats because we never got caught we were out of the business for a year, right. but uh, people we knew pretty well and obviously trusted came to us and said, you know, hey, would you okay me for a load in Columbia, or would you help me get a boat, or would you this, or would you that, and all the woods were the rats. Yeah, I mean, rats always sink the, sink the ships. They, they, you know, it's funny that when you talk about how you were basically prosecuted under RICO, that was some of the same stuff that they used to dismantle the American mafia family. So it's kind of interesting that your case is almost a precedent for doing that because with the Kingpin statute, I mean, that's what they tried to do to Gotti and those guys, more or less. Yeah, and it wasn't only RICO, though. We had two RICO charges in our indictment, but we were indicted under the Kingpin statute. 848, Continuing Criminal Enterprise. And that was much more severe than any RICO charge. Uh, It had never been used for marijuana. It was never meant to be used for marijuana. They used that to get the French Connection people. Nick Barnes, uh, Red, uh, oh, what's his name? I know Red, too, or I knew him before he died. Uh, I was with him in prison for years. In any case, it had never been tried, and the prosecutor even had the guts to walk into the holding cell one day while we were on trial and say, I honestly don't think that these charges could stick. They were never meant for marijuana. And this is a guy who made them stick. Or the judge did, or the jury did. But in any case, they stuck. And then they used it afterwards. And the worst part is, is because it's a continuing criminal enterprise, there are a dozen people in federal prison today on nonviolent marijuana charges who are doing life without parole. And that could have happened to us. So even though I did 30 years, I got to say I was lucky because the guys that came after... <laughs> Unless they turned rat, they did more. I was raised in South Philly. There was never a question of of turning on the people that you worked with and lived with and who were your friends. So, in a way, it made prison time a lot easier because everybody respected us. And we got a lot of respect in prison. And we've got a lot of respect since we came out. There are a lot of other people who got hit with big charges but ended up doing small time. And uh, invariably, it's because of the number of people they were able to turn in. 
However, that's all hindsight, and I, I don't turn around and, and look out the back window. I look out the front windshield and keep going. And I found out that the only reason Prop 19 failed in California was the senior vote. There was no other reason. Seniors voted 65% against. I said, this is my generation. We invented marijuana. So I'm going to talk to seniors because nobody else was. And uh, two years ago, I started the first Silver Tour shows, me and Irv Rosenfeld uh, and a couple of other people who were on our board. And uh, the rest has been history. Now seniors talk about it. I was on The Daily Show. It was a funny show, but it also made a point. Right. Uh, it made the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And uh, as soon as the government told me I couldn't travel and do shows, I put it on uh, an infomercial. I made a show called Should Grandma Smoke Pot? And uh, been running it in cities. We buy the time, just like I did for infomercials. And uh, we're going to go on the air this weekend in Minnesota. Wow, that's I just cool. saw that. Yeah, that's when, when is that? Home of the Mayo Clinic. <laughs> uh, we had a generous donor there from uh, Minnesota Normal. And it took me a couple of weeks to uh, convince good TV stations that they ought to run the show. You know, as soon as they hear marijuana, they run or want to run the other way. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous, but isn't it? if you've ever seen my show, Should Grandma Smoke Pot, it's every bit as serious and, and maybe better produced than uh, that Sanjay Gupta special on CNN. Should Grandma In Smoke... Fact, yeah, so Grandma Smoke Pot is, is definitely a wonderful is a wonderful bit for sure. So it changes minds. I, I agree. And it brings seniors out of the closet and makes them comfortable with the subject. They see other seniors smoking. They see people in hospitals in Israel and in uh, rest homes, and they see people with the same ailments that they have. And then they listen to doctors like Andrew Weil and uh, people like Bob Melamy, yes. Dr. Uh, Donald Abrams from, uh, you know, from uh, San Fran General. Yeah, I mean, Chagrin Smoke Pot gives, off, gives a great message for sure, and people can go ahead and check that out. You know, I think it's available on YouTube. And also, you know, it's a great message, and the Silver Tour is a great organization, and, and you know, everything you're doing, Bob, is great. And, you know... Everyone out there who's listening, our listeners, you know, send a few bucks his way. Even if you can't afford some of the top tier stuff, send a couple bucks to him, send a couple bucks to whatever. You know, every little bit helps activists. You know, we're, we're activists. We're not rich by any means, any of us. So, uh, whatever you know, is uh, the silvertour.org. Silvertour.org. So, yep. Nobody gets paid. All the money gets to go uh, buy TV time and make new shows. And by the way, I'm going to give you a little teaser. We've got 42 hours of shows. I am in partnership with someone whose name I can't mention yet, but he wants to make a big splash. We are going to put on a weekly series of serious, well-produced, entertaining cannabis shows. We've lined up three stations and are lining up more, and it's going to uh, make its appearance 
in mid-November. That sounds awesome. That's a well, thing that, that... You know what, Bob? We should... Me and you should make, like, a TV sitcom where, like, you're like my grandpa and I'm, like, your kind of, like, lost, you know, like, grandson, and, and, and we'll put it on, like, ABC or something like that. Well, that sounds like a great project for uh, Cannabis Network Media Group, for sure. It sounds like that's straight up the alley of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, Bob... Me, we're, we're, going <laughs> we're going on commercial TV. That's awesome. That's awesome. We're where, where, where the public is that we need to reach, and... Uh, We've arranged for three cities, and most likely we'll have a fourth very soon. And we've got uh, 42 hours of shows. That sounds shows. that sounds so exciting. I'm looking forward to, to seeing and hearing more information about that, Bob. So let me ask you this, and this is uh, you know on, on like a personal level. So uh, from what from what I what I've seen in the movies, you know your movie and things like Square Grouper. So you're your girlfriend at the time, back in the day, Lynn, um, you know, you guys were, were seeing each other, then your partner kind of snagged her from you, then you kind of got her back, then you went away, and then you came out, and ultimately, y'all got married, and, 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 you know, you're married to the woman that you love, and so on and so forth. It's kind of like an, an ultimate love story. Um, tell me, tell us a, a little bit about that, and, and all the the emotion and, and whatnot that transpired from the beginning, I guess, through your course of time, uh, spending those 30 years, and, and then when you got out, because apparently, setting aside the, the mission of legalizing cannabis, you apparently had a mission to win back the woman that, that you love. So, Well, that's a great place for a book plug, because uh, what holds the entire book together is the love story that started at age 14. Uh, the book, of course, is Black Tuna Diaries, and that's what convinced them to make the movie uh, Square Grouper. They were thinking about making a pot movie, and the producer, Lindsay Snell, asked for a copy of the manuscript when I got out of prison. She had heard I had written a book, and I knew as soon as a woman producer looked at that book and saw that I tied all these stories and adventures together with the one thing that was constant through the timeline, which was Lynn and I. Uh, the book actually covers my childhood in South Philly, growing up on South Street, the old South Street, with all the clothing stores and furniture stores and delicatessens and... and just everything in the world that you could possibly want was was on South Street, which is not what South Street is today. Back then, it was primarily a Jewish business street. We all grew up there. We had a gang called the South Street Gang. And I moved to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, when I was about 14. I was in a uh, off-Broadway play at the time. I was 15 and uh, started high school in New Jersey. I'd gone to Southern for a year. Started high school in New Jersey, and I think the first day I was there, I met Lynn, and she scared the life out of me. I was walking through the cafeteria, and she looked up, and I looked down and said, uh-huh, yep, and she had a cookie in her hand, and, and it was like a poison cookie, a magic cookie. Because once 
she offered it to me and I took it, I was hooked. So uh, we'll, blame it, we'll blame it on the cookie. Ah, uh, I don't know if I blame it on the cookie, but uh, I, I do happen to know that it, when you go ahead and have that moment when you come across that one person that all of a sudden, I guess, holds that cookie in, in one way or another, and, and all of a sudden your 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 life changes at that moment for sure. So, uh, I'll take as many cookies as I can get. Yeah, Yeah. well, it could have been the sweater, too. <laughs> or the tight skirt. <laughs> or all of those things. You know. Uh, but we had an on and off relationship for many years, more on than off. Uh, we both went to University of Miami. I also went to Temple for a while. She went to NYU for a while. Uh, and. I moved to, she, she went to Europe when she graduated NYU, and she ended up working in England uh, for the J. Arthur Rank organization, Rank Theaters. Uh, and I was a pitchman at the time on the boardwalk. I had a real good summer. I went out and worked some fairs with Ron Popeil and all the big-time pitchmen. Made, made a few grand. And I missed her, and I got on a plane to Europe. So we were in London together for a while. And uh, after a couple of weeks, I started the first speed reading schools in Europe when I was 23 years old. I was the Evelyn Wood of Europe. Over a three-year period, uh, I had 14 schools in England, Holland, Germany. I started out in a small rented hotel room with a few chairs, and one class, and and built it up so that eventually I had my own teachers in Oxford, Cambridge, Edinburgh, London University. Uh, in the meantime, she takes off for South Africa, because her mother was there at the time and was in love with the country. So all the, all the juicy details of what went on with her and I and when we were together and apart are in Black Tuna Diaries, along with the story of how I started the Dynamic Reading Institute. And uh, I came back to this country after three and a half years and started uh, in the ice cream business with Briars. Uh, I ended up being the second biggest distributor of Briars in the country. Uh, because I was the first person ever to put dipping ice cream on the street in a push cart. We had to invent a new kind of a push cart. So we're gonna so we're so we're gonna have to invent a weed push cart. Like, you know, something yeah, like that good. to go around, you know, almost like the Cheech Bobby, and Chong Bobby ice. Can be the pitch. Bobby can be the pitch man for it. That's right. We, really well that. You know, I think we have to make a special, like, Vitamix blender or, like, a juicer for just cannabis and just create an information yeah, you know about what, that. that. You're right. That's, that's, I'll, I'll go ahead and, like, just do a pitch for the amazing cannabis juicer. And like, yeah, you know, I, I hear that. <laughs> it, could, it could be a trimmer. It can be a, a juicer. It could be a... Uh, uh, a grinder, all in one. I mean, like, oh, yeah, it, marketing potential right there. I don't know. I probably sold about thirty or forty thousand Vitamixes, <laughs> and I did it the hard way. Back in the old days, the motor in the Vitamix was about uh, the size of uh, the motor in a uh, vibrator, and in order to get it to do anything, we had a booster 30. under the counter. 
we ha- we have we have a going trend now. There's a third week in a row we br- brought up vibrators in, in our show topic. It's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's one of those yeah, things. I don't, I, don't, this, I don't know how it happened. I don't know. It's one of those things that that, that that's meant to be. Um, so it reminds me of a really funny story. But I got I was in uh, Macy's and uh, I was putting on pitches there in the basement in the housewares department, and I had about a hundred people in front of me one day. And I'm ma- I'm making the vegetable drink with the bananas and the peel and uh, yeah, yeah. the apples and and the beets and we called it a strawberry milkshake with no strawberries and no milk. And I've got this huge crowd, and I know I'm going to sell ten or fifteen machines, make myself a couple of hundred bucks for the hour, and that was a lot of money back then. We're talking uh, back in the '60s, and the head electrician yeah. comes up. And he said, I heard you have a special machine under the counter. And he reaches under the counter, and he finds the voltage regulator that we needed to make the Vitamix actually do anything. And he lifts it up like a dead rat. And he takes it, and he walks away. And I just kept talking. I let that machine run for about 40 minutes, hoping it would grind up the food and it, it didn't do too great a job i still ended up selling about two dozen yeah it's the way but, that's the way it goes sometimes you know sometimes it's not about the product it's about the pitch and that i that i do oh, know that i do know for sure yeah i uh, i made a commercial for uh remington electric knives and it was actually made by the nk morris company in new jersey uh who were cousins of the popeels and and Nat Morris, N.K. Morris, had an ethic. And the ethic was he refused to produce anything that actually worked. Uh, he believed it should be sold on the power of the pitch, not the product. And he made this gorgeous electric knife back when they were brand new and very expensive and, and a novelty. He, and how he made them was... He managed to buy thousands of dildo handles that had these little tiny offset motors so that it had a little weight on the motor, and when it spun around, it made the whole thing vibrate. But it didn't move the blade. The handle vibrated, but the blade was stationary. Fortunately, it was a very dark blade. And... The knife actually was much easier to demonstrate if you never turned it on, especially on TV. And back in those days, I used to be able to walk into a studio and cut a commercial virtually live and then make tapes and then I'd have it for next to nothing. And I think at the time I was working at Channel 17, uh... It was one of the first UHFs, and I was the promotion manager of the station. But I was also running a few products on TV. And I set up these two long tables with bread, roast beef, salami, bologna, tomatoes. You know, you always got to cut a couple tomatoes, onion. uh, I cut a can in half, and I had all these knives lying there, and none of them even had batteries in them. But I went, as I spoke, 
from one end to the other. I cut the bread, then I cut the tomato. I show them how to cut the roast beef. It, sound, it the sounds like the it sounds like the Ginsu meat. knife right there. It sounds like the Ginsu and knife. I had a ton of food. <laughs> the commercial was great. It looked gorgeous on TV. But when I finished the commercial, I invited all the technicians in the studio to have lunch. In fact, I had brought some mayonnaise and mustard just to do it because you keep those people sweet and if you need them, if you need to reshoot, whatever, they're on your side. And I'm standing there talking to the director while all the guys are uh, making themselves a sandwich. One guy goes to cut more bread and he hits the button and of course nothing happens. There are no batteries in it. But he walks over. He said, did you know there's no batteries in there? I turned around and said, that knife is so sharp, you don't even need batteries. I said, besides, you know what that would do to the sound in the commercial, that buzzing noise? I said, I know it would drive your sound man crazy. And then the sound guy came up to me and he said, you know, I really want to thank you for that. He said, the sound came out really clean. He said, you're a professional. I said, I know. So so I got so I got one last question for you. So back back to um, Lynn. That story's uh, in the book. <laughs> All the pitchman stories. I you know I'll tell you something. I love I love hearing your I love hearing your pitch stories. So I do have one last question. I'm actually going to close the question uh, again about Lynn. So cannabis kind of got you into to a whole mess and now you guys are married and and living together and all that um we were married before i went away oh yeah yeah we've been married for several years for about four years before I went so away. so you got remarried i guess renewed your vows or, or, or whatnot when you got out married when i went in uh we divorced i didn't expect to come out alive right uh the judge said 64 years i said i don't know if i can live that long he said don't worry about it just do what you can so so now that you're in again more or less so granted a different area of, of the cannabis business how does she how is she dealing with everything and your advocacy work and putting yourself out there even with the federal government on top of you and kind of being in a crosshairs um how do you feel that that you know jives with with your relationship one and then lastly is if there's anything uh, that you can say to her to share with everyone else um, you know, you can end on, on like a sentiment to her as well as, you know, let us all know where we can find your various uh, uh, projects you have going on as well. Uh, it's really tough for her. Uh, she was busted when I was, and, and she did a year. It was very traumatic for our son. It was very traumatic for her. And when I got out, you know, at first, uh, I had to make a living, and I went out and sold uh, pitch pots and pans, went back into the pitch business, uh, and all the same. And when the book was finally ready, and I started on a book tour, and she got the hint that uh, I wanted to become an activist, that I was becoming an activist. I mean, it, it, it was happening. Uh, it really, really brought back terrible memories for her. And so the hardest thing for me to do was put her through it. And she's been very supportive. She goes to a lot of events for with me. 
She loves meeting everybody. She is a very strong believer in what we're doing, but it still hurts, and, and that hurts me to see it. Uh, but I'm on a crash course, I guess, and and I just want to see the end of it. Do you have any idea how happy I was when I saw the reaction in Washington to bringing all those seniors demanding safe access to marijuana? Yeah, I, 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 I do. to meet with the lawmakers because they had never seen seniors congregate in any kind of number or request access to medical marijuana. It just had never been done. And I think it made enough of an impression that it was at least partially responsible for Holder coming out and announcing the the new policy that they will not interfere with the legal states. And that's what we went to Washington for. I mean, you were there, you know. Yep. We, we had great people. Jared Polis, uh, I hate to say great, but Grover Norquist. Good people, good, good, good people to contribute. Good people to contribute for sure. All right. So, if people want to go ahead and and find out more about you and what you got going on, what's a good website for everyone to check you out on? The good website is thesilvertour dot org, and uh, you can go to uh, merchandise and and find Black Tuna Diaries, uh, Should Grandma Smoke Pot DVDs and bumper stickers and. Uh, t-shirts, and you'll find the Black Tuna Medallion, you know, the one that's in the uh, showcase in the DEA Museum. They said, well, you I, want a, I want a Black Tuna Medallion. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's, that's where they are. you got to wait till you see me. <laughs> uh, and the other website where you can preview the book is uh, blacktunatiries.com. Okay. Uh, you can read little pieces of the chapters. You can order it on either site. Please don't order it at Amazon because I get less money that way, and Fair I need enough. the money. Fair enough. So that's uh, what is that? That's uh, blacktunadiaries.com as well as thesilvertour.org. Um, yep. And uh, go ahead and uh, check out what uh, Bobby's got there for you. Support a good cause. Support a good guy that's that's really fighting to make a difference. I I can understand we're in the same place. Bob, thank you so. I sign. I sign all the books before they go out. Awesome, that's cool. And the same thing with the DVDs and the Square Grouper DVDs. I sign them all. Uh, What's it? And it's available uh, on Kindle and and eBooks, Smashwords. But if you'd like a signed copy, a wonderful thing to have: uh, Silver Door or Black Tuna Diaries. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for uh, going ahead and being on the air with us here this evening, Bob, and taking time out. I do appreciate it and sharing with us. We'll love to have you on again because you have so much stuff to talk about, and unfortunately we only have, we ran a little bit over. But uh, thank you so much for being on here with us and taking the time to do so here on Cannabis Network My Radio. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on, and uh, I've got more stories than Mother Goose. So. <laughs> and I always enjoy listening to them. I hope you have a wonderful you're evening. Ready. All right. Have a good night. Care, Have it's a good, good night, man. Good to talk to you. And uh, I'm here in West Palm Beach if you get over this side. All right. We'll look you up next time over there. Have a good night.
All right, so folks, that was uh, Bobby Tuna, uh, Robert Platchorn, a.k.a. Bobby Tuna. Uh, check out his stuff, silvertuna.org, uh, Black Tuna Diaries. Um, and, uh, wow, it's not often you go ahead and uh, get to speak to someone that's a uh, legend in his own mind in regard to uh, his, uh, you know, uh, successes and, and whatnot and someone who spent 30 years uh, in prison and just came out fighting. You know, I think that I would do the same thing, man. I think if I went down, uh, you know, I would I would uh, come out fighting as well. And I, and I still fight, and that's what I do, you know, and I appreciate all the people that support me and support us and support the cause. You know, all the important people in my life, thank you for standing by me and being there and, and tolerating what I'm doing. I know sometimes it's hard to understand, but there's a reason why we do what we do. And and I'd like to thank everyone for, for their support. And the people that don't support me, oh, well, fuck you. All right, so... Move, moving moving right along. So, Poe, um, I'm going to let you actually go ahead and uh, let people know uh, there's been some changes going on in Facebook. Um, if you notice, Cannabis Information Network had kind of an overnight transformation. Um, what do you got to say about that? Well, Dave, it looks like the things are starting to heat up a little bit for what's going on with all our new stuff. Um how is the Weed Not Greed coming along, Dave? Weed Not Greed is trucking along. Um, we are starting to get into the mode. I think November is really going to be our month when we start uh, hitting the, uh, I, I guess, the fundraising uh, trail, which is always a difficult thing to do to make sure we get funded so we can get that 45-foot bus um, up and running and, you know, wrapped and on the road and everything like that. It's, it's a very ambitious project, but I have n- faith in, in, in the cannabis movement and the cannabis and the entrepreneurs and the people that have been successful and the business have been successful in the cannabis movement that, that will be along to support us and uh, get us on the road to get the message again, as, as Bobby said, education, you know, it's, 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 it's not ideal when we go to events and preach to people that, you know, preaching to the choir, you know, People like 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 you and I, Poe, we need to get out there to the people that that are not coming to the events and festivals. We need to go see the people that are, you know, driving into the supermarkets and into the restaurants and, you know, down the street and have a conversation with the everyday person. That's why the Weed Not Greed Tour is so important to get on the road uh, just as soon as possible. And and I I know that I want to do it for uh, summer 2014, summer fall 2014. But if we can get it on the road sooner than that, you know, I would like to say we can shoot for 420. But, uh, you know, so on, you know, we'll just have to see how that goes and see how much support we get from the cannabis community in a whole. Um, but I'm very, very excited that it's all coming to fruition after all these many years of, of, of my working on it. And I'm also very excited to say that uh, Cannabis Network Media Group has now uh, emerged um, after, uh, I guess, being Cannabis Information Network for a long time and starting the radio. And we're starting, you know, soon to be doing video and, and we're going to start having uh freelance reporters and, and things like that throughout the United States. They're going to be, uh, you know, giving us uh, on-site reports about different things. Uh, we ha- I decided that the most ideal thing would be change it to a media group where we go ahead and, and we focus on, on all facets of things, where we can be an actual uh, one source for, for everyone to come to, not only general public, but, but major media corporations as well. Um, you know, with everything that we have and, and all the resources that we have, um, I figured that, you know, the best thing to do would be utilize it in a, a new, fresh, exciting, fun manner. And uh, so we kind of had a, a soft start introduction to uh, the Cannabis Network Media Group, uh, which has uh, kind of, uh, I guess, Cannabis Information Network has, has become the Cannabis Network Media Group. 
Um, and then, you know, we have Cannabis Network Radio. We're going to have Cannabis Network TV coming soon. Weed Not Greed Tour. Um, and all kinds of other stuff that we have, uh, you know, up our sleeve that's going to be coming out. Um, and, and one thing which I will say is that as of right now is that our entire organization in the whole is, is individual and people supported, you know, so it's people that send in a couple bucks here and there that help us drive and move and, and do the things that we do. So, uh, you know, Dave, like, let me, let me just say too, if you like get us out on the road, like we're looking to, uh, use this money to fight this war and to get out there and to talk to people. I mean, Cannabis Network Media Group, you know, we want to be like CNN. I'll be Anderson Cooper. You could be like Piers Morgan or something <laughs> like that. And we'll be all out on the street talking to people, trying to educate about cannabis and, um, you know, travel around and interview some interesting people. I'm really looking forward to it's, getting it's, out it's, and it's uh, all talk, about, talking to the people. Yeah, it's all about messaging. It's all about getting the message and educating people because, honestly, it is definitely a social change and a social movement. Um, and we need the people to come out, and we need the people to support it, and that's what Weed Not Greed is. That's why Cannabis Network Media Group is, has come out. As we say, social media, radio, news, information, broadcasting, and, of course, what we start in direct action. We're going to be there at the front lines as well. Uh, I love you know, direct action. To uh, do what we need to do because that's what we were founded on. That's what we're going to continue to do. Um, so uh, I hope everyone goes, has a chance to uh, check out some of our, our new look, our new website's up and evolving. Also, Cannabis Network Radio has been changing daily, uh, optimizing for, for people's use. Any feedback would be greatly appreciated. I'd like to thank all of our supporters, donors, listeners, downloaders, iTunes listeners, podcast listeners, uh, everything like that. Thank you very much for everything that you do in supporting us. We're currently sitting at number six on iTunes. Um, we've moved up a notch. Um, I'm kind of excited. Miley, Miley Cyrus is next. Miley, watch out. Here comes fucking Cannabis Network Radio. Dude, if Miley Cyrus wants to go ahead and uh, come on our show, I'm all about it. So, uh, you know, I'll be more than happy to have her a as a guest So or, or meet her wherever she needs to be meet to uh, do an on-site interview as well. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and if she could wear one of those, those lovely outfits she's been sporting recently, that would even be better. So... Nonetheless, all right, so uh, it's been a kind of an extended version uh, of Cannabis Network Radio, and thank you everyone for listening live. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, call it an evening uh, this evening, and uh, we have, uh, who do we have? We have Dustin, um, sorry, I should be on top of this, and I'm not. My, my, my good buddy Dustin Kaufman's coming on Wednesday. He went around the whole country and did a tour that he called Ridiculous. I actually flew out to L.A. about a month ago and spent two weeks on his couch helping him edit. Uh, he went to the, the cannabis market. He went to all these different clubs, and he performed, and he has some great stories from the road uh, and from the movie, which I'm going to be in. So uh, it'll be a fun, exciting, uh, comedic show because uh, I'm looking forward to, to doing that Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Was that a plug about a movie you're going to be in? Yeah, well, Dustin's going to be in it, too. <laughs> all right, man. Well... <laughs> I'd like to thank everyone. I'd like to thank our uh, show producer, Ed Bone, and our uh, audio tech, Justin, here uh, at Cannabis Network Studios. Thank you, Poe, for uh, coming on with us. And, oh, it is uh, always a pleasure. Being here, I enjoy having you as a co-host. And uh, we're going to have this groove down soon enough. And, again, thank you, everyone out there, for listening to us. Uh, review us, rate us, download us, subscribe to us on iTunes. And, Send again, yes. <laughs> 
Send them all to Poe. Poe will be my filter. He'll send me all the good yeah. ones. All right. Wait a um, minute. Man. Is that a co-host <laughs> job? To fucking, to it it just it What's just became it just became one. <laughs> just became one. <laughs> so, all right, folks. That's it for tonight for Cannabis Network Radio. We'll be back Wednesday with more. Have a good night. <laughs>